The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Well, I am both excited and uh, a little bit sad to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, because this is going to be our last uh, look at the Sermon on the Mount together. Uh, we, I just checked this morning, it was the second week of October 2019 when we first visited Matthew chapter 5, and we've been spending time there over the last year, of course, with a few breaks for various reasons. But you and I have been lingering on the mountaintop with Jesus now for some time, hearing His Word, hearing Him teach us. And I just want to encourage you again to, to try to go in your mind's eye to that place in which on the elevated plain, Jesus sat down and people gathered all around Him to hear His voice. You and I have been, as it were, ascending the mountain with that crowd to sit at Jesus' feet and hear His words. And we have wanted to hear His words. We have wanted to hear what He has to say to us. Now, as we come to the conclusion of this famous sermon, one in which many, many people are aware of individual pieces and parts, we will hear how Jesus concludes that sermon and how deeply concerned He is that you and I not only hear Him, but receive Him. Not only hear Him, but receive Him. So, we're going to be looking at Matthew 7, at verse 24 through the end of the chapter. But before we do so, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon the Scriptures. Let's pray. Oh Lord, what a remarkable thing it is that You have sent Your Son into this world to take on flesh, live amongst us, to live a perfect righteousness, and, and along the way, stop to teach. Stop to speak about the ways of the kingdom of heaven. Lord, help us not to pass by this significant reality that You have spoken and that in Your speaking, You desire to be obeyed. And so, Lord, as we hear the voice of Your Son speaking to us, we pray that Your Holy Spirit might also speak to our hearts today, might rest upon our hearts, illuminate our minds, give true hearing to not only our ears, but our hearts, that we might be a sincere people called by Your name, living in Your kingdom. We pray now that You would bless Your Word to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. And now let's hear the Word of God, Matthew 7, verse 24, through the end of the chapter. This is the Word of God, the Word of the King. Everyone, then, who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at His teaching. 
For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever. And so may He write its eternal truth on our hearts as we uh, conclude with the Lord Jesus this Sermon on the Mount. Uh, before we get to those words, let me tell you uh, about a very fateful day. May 31st, 1889, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, when the South Fork Dam located in southwestern Pennsylvania broke, unleashing 4.8 billion gallons of water uh, into the Konama River that would rush 14 miles to the city of Johnstown, Johnstown, Pennsylvania. During those 14 miles, the floodwaters amassed into a wall of water 70 feet high, moving 45 miles an hour. 70 feet high, 45 miles an hour, funneling down a valley to the city of Johnston. The destruction that came to that city was at that point the worst recorded natural disaster in United States history. Uh, At that time, if you were to account for inflation, it was about half a billion dollars worth of damage and over 2,000 people dead as a result of it. Lives taken by an absolutely unsuspecting flood living beneath the supposed safety of a dam. The flood in Johnston was terrible, but the flood that Jesus is here speaking of in Matthew 7 is different from the 1889 Johnston flood because the people living in Johnston had no warning of the flood. And the flood that Jesus speaks of here in Matthew 7 is a flood that has been given an issued warning. Now, let me say to you all and to myself, there is zero lack of clarity with what Jesus says here. This is not at all unclear. It is emphatically clear. It is easy to understand and it is incredibly vivid the words that Jesus uses here and think about why he is coming to this point he has been for the last three chapters saying emphatically that the kingdom of heaven has come into the world and it is received by those who receive the king As Jesus has been speaking these words and calling people into His kingdom, He is coming now to this emphatic point as He continues this line of argumentation that really began back at chapter 7, verse 13, where since 7, 13, through the rest of the chapter, He has been saying, as I have spoken to you about the kingdom, I have told you that there is the kingdom of heaven and there is the kingdom of this world. And He has been emphatically saying over and over and over, there are only two ways. There are only two kingdoms. And your citizenship ultimately will only be in one or the other. Now, the reason why I think Jesus concludes here was really affirmed to me from a conversation I had a couple weeks ago, and I'll tell you about it in just a second, but after having heard all of Jesus' words, after having heard His moral teachings, things like the golden rule and turning the other cheek and praying for our enemies, and, and these are all wonderful teachings, it is quite possible 
to hear Jesus' words, for you and I to have heard Jesus' words over the last year, and then said, I agree. I totally agree. These are great teachings. They are the key to morality. This is the key to being a good person. I resolve to try harder and be better. I had that exact conversation two weeks ago with somebody. Not a member of this church, but a friend of mine. A person who is full of respect and, and, and admonition of Jesus. They praise Jesus. They, they, they're full of admiration for Him and personal resolve to do the best and be the best that they possibly can. I believe in Jesus and I'm doing my best to be a good person. And to that, Jesus says, that is not what I said. That is not what I said. Believe in Jesus and do my best to be a good person is not the gospel, is it? How many people think that it is? Jesus is here concluding in this way to say, I'm not asking you to go out and try harder and be better. You will never be able to do it on your own. The righteousness which God is pleased with is a righteousness that can only come entirely from me. It will not come from you to go out and try harder and attempt to construct the kind of character that the Sermon on the Mount requires of you and do it yourself is like building your mansion upon the sand. Jesus is moving to this vivid illustration. Get what I am saying to you, Jesus says. Brings us to this picture. Now, before we get into the details of it, this picture, this word picture, which is again very clear, the only misunderstanding that I think could possibly exist in this text is what I have often heard people suggest, that the picture here of the storm and the winds and the waves are your daily struggles in life, your trials. They, they attempt to interpret this text as the wind, the wave, the storm, etc., etc., is just, you know, day-to-day struggles. But that's not what Jesus has been talking about. Jesus, especially here at the end of this chapter, has been talking about ultimate reality, hasn't he? Ultimacy, the end point, eternal things. Not daily struggles, but the consummation of your existence as it pertains to passing over the precipice from this life into eternity. That's what he's talking about. The storm here that Jesus speaks of is nothing less than the final judgment of God. That's what the wind and the waves are. Be very clear about that. And notice how Jesus speaks to this. He speaks of two men. Both of these men have the same desire. They both want to build a house which is noble in and of itself. And you know what's interesting is that Jesus makes it clear that there was no difference between these two houses except the foundation, right? Jesus doesn't go on to speak about a differentiation of building materials as if to suggest that the stuff of the construction of the home uh, was somehow superior to that of the other home. He speaks of nothing with regard to comparative structure other than the foundation. We even could conclude, if you want to think about it this way, that these two homes exist side by side in the same neighborhood as they are experiencing the exact same storm at the exact same time. So the differentiation between the two homes is minimal except that of the foundation, right? 
And here's how he describes the difference. Verse 26, he speaks of one man as a fool. There are some things that we can characteristically say about a spiritual fool. The book of Proverbs has much to say about this, but as it relates to the building process and a house and a foundation, uh, the fool is always in a hurry. The fool doesn't take time to do the hard thing now. He delays. A fool is interested in shortcuts and easy ways. A spiritual fool doesn't listen to instruction doesn't listen to a teacher. A spiritual fool thinks he knows what's best. His ideas are best. A spiritual fool is someone that does not consider possibilities, eventualities, and conclusions. A spiritual fool lives only for the present moment. In contrast, there is another man that Jesus calls in verse 24, wise. The wise man in the text takes time to do the hard thing, to do the work that doesn't seem to be immediately rewarding. There's nothing glorious about foundations. Everybody's always attracted to homes in other ways. The bathroom, the kitchen, whatever. Nobody oodles and gawks over the foundation. But it's the most important part, isn't it? The wise person takes the time to do the hard thing because he knows it's most important because he has weighed in the balance consequences. He heeds counsel and seeks out wisdom and humility, recognizing that he doesn't know what's best and in humble reliance upon a greater authority, submits himself. He plans for the end at the beginning. He plans for the end at the beginning. The point Jesus is getting at here is that if the foundation be wrong, nothing in the house could possibly be right. It could have the most attractive decor, the most remarkable, whatever else. If the foundation is wrong, nothing can be right. So you see where Jesus is moving towards in this metaphor? Speaking of a house. He's speaking of a life. And the key difference is this reality. Building your house on the sand means not doing what Jesus says. And building your house on the rock means doing what Jesus says. This is ultimately about obedience here in this text. Because, notice how Jesus says, verse 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them is the emphatic point. Pick up verse 26 also, and you see the comparison. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, it is the doing that is the emphasis in the building. Two houses, two foundations on two different kinds of foundations. And the distinguishing feature here is that both men heard the words of Jesus. Look at it again in verse 24 and 26. Both the wise man and the foolish man heard Jesus' words. This is important because I think we oftentimes assume when we come to metaphors, pictures, stories like this, that the distinction that Jesus is making is blatantly obvious between the believer and the unbeliever. That the, the, the wise man and the fool man is clearly delineated and it's very obvious. But Jesus says here, you would not be able to tell the difference between these two men because they both heard. 
They were both present. They both heard Jesus' words. Jesus' teaching in this entire last section of chapter 7 have been clear that things are not as they often appear, that spiritual evaluations must be concluded not on the basis just of external realities, but upon internal realities, right? Jesus made that point back in chapter 7, verse 23, when he said, just because you say, Lord, Lord, doesn't mean you enter the kingdom. See, he is delineating from realities where somebody can be deceived, believing that they are on the narrow road when in reality they are on the broad road, believing that they have heard Jesus' voice, believing that they have been building the house, and yet that house falls. Why do you think, why do you think that matters still for us today? Jesus' words are relevant, and I'm, I'm really drawing on this distinction that both person heard the word. Because we're so quick to assume that there are those who listen to Jesus come to church and there's everybody else. But Jesus is not addressing us with that type of thought. What does this look like today? Let's bring this into our context. Both men heard Jesus' words, which would be like saying both men were in church every single Sunday. But only one listens. One man is present and his heart is cold to the truth of the gospel. His heart is disobedient at the call to receive a Savior because he is content to think that Jesus, plus his best efforts, is his ticket to eternal life. Another man is not only present, but he is present and sincerely resting and trusting upon Jesus Christ as he has offered in the gospel. And the great deception, the great deception that's here is that the man whose house will fall into ruin thinks that he is safe because he was in church and his name is on the membership roll. But because he never obeys the Lord Jesus, his house, meaning his life, is destined to fall. Do you see what Jesus is saying? It is utter foolishness to build on anything but Jesus Christ. Now, this is, this is wisdom that our children know. Children learn this song in Sunday school, don't they? The wise man built his house on the rock. We know that, but yet somehow this can utterly miss a mature adult. And only those whose foundation is upon Jesus Christ will stand in the final judgment, is what Jesus is saying in dry weather, every building plan looks good. And every house seems sturdy, but when the rain comes, the river rises, the winds blow, they reveal the quality of the work and whether or not it was resting upon Jesus Christ. Friends, what this is saying is that there is a storm coming which will try and reveal what your hope has been fastened to. Ultimately, and the hopes which have been built upon Jesus Christ will stand. They will stand. And those that have not, Jesus says at the end of verse 27, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. That's a description in, in Greek with this great fall of utter demolition. 
leaving the builder with nothing. That this is the destiny of those who build on the sand, meaning their own opinions, their own ideas, their own worldviews, their own religions, their own philosophies, their own version of Christianity. And that's the most dangerous part. Their own version of Christianity rather than Jesus' own. It's not that this person is left with a little bit of their possessions left in a pile of rubble that they need to put back together, but rather that they are left with nothing. It reveals that their way to God was not an inferior way amongst other ways, but rather no way at all, always and inevitably leading to destruction. And Jesus says, This is simply reality. Now, do you want to know the wonderful news in the midst of this? Because you need to read this text as if there is incredible news. And here it is. There is a rock. There is a rock upon which to build your house. There is a rock upon which to stake your life. Jesus Christ Himself. God speaks this word in Isaiah 28. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not believe in vain. Your Christian faith is not in vain. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 3.11 that Jesus Christ is the foundation and there is no other foundation besides Him. This is so important. This is so important because the wonderful privilege of gospel ministry, the wonderful privilege of being a part of the kingdom of God is saying emphatically with a clear voice, you do not have to face judgment without a Savior. That there is a Savior for you. There is a rock upon which to build your life. And, and, and the most pressing moments, anyway, for me that this comes home Always referencing this reality, but it's in the context of doing funerals. Where we live in a culture that likes to deny death and put it aside and not face it and not deal with it, and yet at a funeral service, we are facing the reality of immortality. And to say, Will you cross the river without a Savior? Why? Why would you try to cross the river without a Savior? You have one, and His name is Jesus. Jesus is saying, therefore, that the true Christian disciple, the true citizen of the kingdom of heaven, is one who both believes that they have no inherent righteousness and obeys the call to come to Christ, to receive His righteousness and new life, and so to be transformed throughout their lives. And there is no other way to be approved on the last day but by the doing of the words of Christ by the believing upon Christ, by the receiving upon Christ, and there is no other way. And so it concludes. And the way the sermon concludes, Matthew gives us this commentation, this editorial note here at the end. And it might seem like just a passing detail. Verse 28, when Jesus finished, and when He finished saying all these things that we've been looking about for a year, these incredible teachings, all these people heard him. They were astonished at his teaching, weren't they? For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And the reason why they're astonished is because he has authority within himself. Jesus doesn't cite other sources. That's the big distinction. 
not as their scribes. The, the scribes of Judaism would be constantly citing this rabbi, that rabbi, this teacher, that teacher. Jesus just simply teaches. Why? Because he's the Son of God. He invented knowledge. He is the creator of all existence. He has authority within himself. He doesn't cite or refer to authority because he is the greatest authority. He is the apex of all knowledge and wisdom and insight. Matthew tells us, though, that this crowd of people that gathered around, they were astonished. But Matthew never tells us that they believed. He doesn't say they believed every single word that Jesus said. It is one thing to be impressed. Isn't it? To be morally impressed with Jesus as a good teacher. It's another thing perhaps to grasp what Jesus is teaching. To assent to the intellectual understanding of comprehension of what he has said. It's one thing to be impressed. It's another thing to grasp. But Jesus says, I don't want you just to be impressed. I don't want you just to grasp. I want you to Bow down, because I am your king. He is to be believed upon. He is to be entrusted. He is to be embraced. The Sermon on the Mount ends where the Christian life begins, asking the question, are you building your life upon the sand or upon the rock? Because the rock is Jesus Christ, and only one foundation will ultimately stand, which is why we sing together, on Christ, the solid rock I sand, all other ground is sinking sand. And Jesus wants you, you, whether you're in elementary school or in junior high school or high school, whether you're middle-aged, whether you're advanced in years, whatever color your hair is or how much hair you have, Jesus says, you, come to me and find the rock upon which you will build your life and so receive eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his clear teachings. We praise you, Lord, that you have sent to us such a Savior. Lord, we pause and consider the fact that without Jesus, there would only be sand. There would be no rock. And so, Father, help us today in our hearts to perhaps for the first time or perhaps to renew an old confidence in Christ alone for the hope of our salvation. Lord, bless the Savior to us today. We pray in His name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.